thanks for listening and supporting this podcast. I'm Camille Diaz, and if you are sick and tired of setting goals and not achieving them, jump on over to my website, go.optimized.zone. Enroll in my online course, Driven, and gain access to the exact formula I've used to accomplish my goals, like write a book, increase revenue, lose 30 pounds, and record over 100 episodes of this podcast. Start experiencing the joy and satisfaction that comes with achieving your goals. That's go.optimized.zone. Welcome. This is Money Heart, where we explore the emotional side of money. I'm Camille Diaz, and today we're discussing dealing with divorce. My guest is David Huff. He's been a sales guy for over 20 years, and he loves cooking, especially barbecue. He even has his own YouTube channel, Huff Daddy Barbecue. David, welcome to Money Heart. Hey, Camille. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, so glad that you're here. Um, we've kind of all heard the stats about 50% of marriages in the U.S. ending in divorce or separation. And I actually looked that up before we chatted, and it's true. Um, and then you pointed out to me that people don't get any better at this marriage thing on the second and third ones. Uh, and you're absolutely right about that because uh, researchers estimate that it's 41% of first marriages but then 60% of second marriages and 73% of third marriages that end in divorce. So um, we've got something going on there. And I, I'm super grateful that you brought up this topic because I have not been divorced and this was not on my radar, um, but it was for you. And so I'm really glad to be talking and very grateful that you're willing to share something because this is kind of a, a personal sort of a topic. Um, tell us kind of how long ago did you get divorced, sort of walk us through it and, and how it changed your financial world. Yeah, it is personal, but I hope that, you know, what's done is done and it's time for the next chapter. And I hope that somebody can hear the things we talk about today and maybe put some thought into it before they get married, before they get divorced. There's a lot of things you don't understand until it's too late. And, um, you know, I think that the stats that you read at the beginning of the show are pretty alarming because everyone wants to think, oh, I'm going to learn from my mistakes or I'm going to know what to look for differently and, and try to change it up. And sadly, the stats show that that's not necessarily the case for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, I was recently divorced, the uh, separated from my wife in November of 2019. Uh, she filed for a divorce in January of 2020. Um, I have never lived on my own before in my entire life. I've lived roommate, a family member, a friend, girlfriend, ex-wife, something. And then in the middle of me living alone for my first time, because I got a, uh, an apartment on my own in March of 2020. Oh, no. COVID hit. So not only am I alone, alone with the marriage, but I can't go visit friends. I can't get out and go to bars. I can't do anything. So wow. one of the darkest, loneliest, I had friends, you know, we would talk on the phone, but I man, there's nothing like realizing you can do this by yourself when you're absolutely forced to in every sense of the word. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is so very much right in that timing of, okay, you, you really couldn't go anywhere. Really can't 
you know, and, no. and everybody was so freaked out that it was even kind of hard to have conversations on the phone because most of phone conversations were just, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, me neither. You know? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. But, you know, and there's still to this day is a lot of miscommunication about, you know, COVID and, and what works and what doesn't. And so imagine in the very beginning, I, I was actually seeing a counselor and the, uh, as you can imagine, somebody would going through that oh, and yeah. telling me about this, this would have been January, 2020. She was telling me about this disease that was coming over here and it's hit China and I better go buy toilet paper and all. <laughs> like this. Wow. She's a counselor. She's listening to too many people's problems man, I wish I would have listened to her. She nailed it dead on. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Some, Mm -hmm. I guess she was, she was in the loop. She was in the loop. Yeah. More than I realized. (laughs) Right. So you said, um, when you got divorced, how long had you been married? So I had been married, uh, 12 years had been dating for a little over 14. It was actually my second marriage. Um, and we had a child with this one and did not with my first. So that was so definitely different. It, there's a lot more obviously to consider during the divorce. So, um, we tried to, you know, tried to make it work in November when we separated, I thought we were trying, um, being in sales, there's finances to consider. There's a lot of different things to consider. I thought we were working through it all. And then in January, when you find out, no, that's not really what was happening. Um, you're just, you're just absolutely devastated and don't immediately start thinking about the things that truly are an impact. You're thinking about emotions and feelings and what your life is going to be like without that person. Then you realize financially, it will never be the same. Maybe never seems like an exaggeration, but it takes a long time to recover, especially depending on the situation. My first divorce, um, we both made about the same amount of money. We shared the house. There were no kids involved. We were civil. So we signed essentially a piece of paper without any lawyers being involved saying, we're going to split everything. You keep your 401k. I keep mine, sell the house, split the equity. Um, we handled student loans, everything. When there's one person that is the breadwinner in a, in a marriage, it is completely different. It can't just be split up that way. Right. And I love what you said about the emotional piece, because when this happens, you're devastated, whether you were the one that wanted it to happen or you're the one that was kind of surprised or however it ended up turning out, you're still mm-hmm. going to have a big emotional component. And as a financial person, one of the pieces that I normally tell people is like, if you've got a big emotional trauma happening right now, let's not make any money decisions. Let's wait a few months and <laughs> figure out what wow. we want to do when we have a absolutely. Head. And here you are going through a situation that's going to be super emotional and you have to make money decisions because that's the only way you can get through it is to make money decisions. So that that's got to be really, really tough. What kind of stuff comes into play? You mentioned 401k and house. How does that work out when everybody's not on the same page and not making the same amount of money? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, they say don't go out and buy a car uh, emotionally because it's such a big spend. Well, I can avoid that 
um, you can't avoid this situation when one or both people want out of a contract, which is essentially what it is. Right. If, I think that's the best advice my friends would give me. You know, you love this person. You know, you want to think about your family and friends. But at the end of the day, especially in the state of Oklahoma, they consider divorce very much a legal contract. And it's a business decision moving forward at that point. Right. You have to try as much as you can to take the emotion out of it. And it's very challenging. I mean, you're with somebody for however many years you love them. Part of you is angry at them. Part of you wants them to hurt the way that you do. But from a business standpoint, you try to separate it the way that you would if she was a partner or he was a partner in your business. Mm -hmm. well, there are student loans to look at. There are any debt. There's assets, liabilities, child support alimony, equity in the home, equity in the vehicles, any assets that you own, bank accounts, retirements. I mean, you don't even realize things that you have to figure out. That person is entitled to a portion of almost all of it. And then you start the negotiations. Right, right. And that's not even to mention if you happen to own a business together or if one of you or both of you have separate businesses. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, my, my ex had a cleaning business, kind of. She went out and cleaned houses. I do barbecue and catering on the side. Fortunately, it's more for fun than making a lot of money. And so able to take those out of the divorce and not have to deal with, I mean, I can't imagine if, well, I helped you build this. So I deserve a portion of that from this point moving forward. And well, then I'll change the name of the business. I, you know, fortunately, it really helps if you can be um, two people that can get along. Um, it can really have a tremendous impact on the financial outcome of the divorce. Right. So let's say with the house, easiest way, of course, is sell it and split it like you, you did with your first one. Um, yeah. But if your child is living there, you like the school district, all that kind of thing, what did you choose to do? Cause we're just going to go on your story. You know, what did you choose sure. to do with, yeah. this, with that situation? So exactly what you said, my attorney said, listen, you know, if you want your portion of the equity, she's not going to be able to, well, let me back up. So my wife cleaned houses. Um, she made just basically some spending money, but I was the sole money earner of the home mm -hmm. and a good living. And so there's when you go to split up things, the law says fair and equitable, right? Well, that doesn't mean 50-50. Fair and equitable may mean, hey, you have the ability to replace all of these things. It might take you two to three years, but you can replace certain things. Somebody who's making a few hundred dollars or, or more cleaning houses doesn't have the ability to do that. So is the judge, if you get to that point, going to take it to... 50-50 is not really fair and equitable, is it? Um, so in case I had a daughter, I wanted her to remain in school. I also had a stepdaughter that I knew came home to um, that house. I didn't want to leave them out on the streets, but there were no way, there would be no way that she could pay me my portion of the equity, either through a loan, either through anything but selling the home. And so I had to make the tough decision, hey, I've been paying on a very nice home for 10 years, building up equity. 
And I have to walk away from it all because partially it's the right thing to do. And that's where, how do you really separate emotion from a strong, the best financial decision for me would have been sell the house, split the equity. That's the best financial, but emotionally you can't separate the fact that that leaves your daughter looking for a home and there's just no way around it. Right. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. What happens with the 401ks? I mean, I kind of know this because I deal with it, but what did you end up doing with yours? For the most part, anything that you have before the marriage can stay separate. But from the day you get married, every dollar that you put away from retirement, it does not matter who earned it. That is joint savings and it's split 50-50. There can be considerations made. In fact, probably a way that we could have split the home and the equity would have been to say, hey, if you have, I'll just pick a number, you know, $50,000 worth of equity in a home and $100,000 in a 401k, then we'll split it 125, or I mean, 25 and 75, you know, that amount back. But then you don't have access to the cash immediately. In Oklahoma, if you make earnings on a house that you sell, as long as you've lived there for two years, you don't have to pay taxes on that money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So honestly, by taking it through a 401k, you don't have access to it. If you do, you pay taxes and a 10% penalty. There is no- Or you wait till retirement, but then you're still gonna pay your regular taxes on it as you pull it out. Absolutely. And here I am having to furnish an entire home, put a down payment on, and just as a side note, if I would have just drugged the divorce out for six more months, the, the home has gone up 20, 30% in value in this market. So not only did she take my portion of the equity, but now that asset has increased dramatically. Um, if I would have, if the divorce would have drug out for any period of time, there would have been that to consider as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. So what about the small stuff, like the utilities and the cars and things where, you know, like when, when we moved in, my husband made some of the phone calls. And so those bills are in his name and I made some of the phone calls and those bills are in my name because we were just trying to split up the work. But of course, if, if we were separating, then whoever was keeping the house would have to like transfer everything to their name because you'd you know, if you're not yeah. making payments, then the other person doesn't want to get dinged for that. And if you want to call in and make a change, you don't want to have to get their permission to do something on the account. Yes. Um, so first, I'm, I'm sure it goes without saving, but I am not an attorney. I am just somebody who went. Oh, yes. 100%. So I don't want anybody this is to think that any, that's exactly right. Yes. But it's my understanding that just because one person's name is on something, for instance, we bought an RV together, mm-hmm. only use my name and my credit, but it was clearly a marital asset. We bought it as a couple. We used it as a family. So there could have been an argument made at the time of the divorce, separating things out. Well, hey, it might just be his name, but it's a joint debt. So just because a name's not or isn't on it doesn't necessarily mean it's exclusively the, now the responsibility of the person whose name it is in. As far that's as good to know. That I hadn't yeah. thought about that fact that you know just because your name is officially on the thing, kind of like with the house, you know, you're all living there. You want to have somebody say, 
just because your name's not officially on something doesn't mean that it doesn't belong to you or the other way around, just because you kept your spouse's name off of something doesn't mean that they don't have a claim to it. That's correct. Because in a lot of cases when there's only one uh, money earner or maybe a spouse has gone through a bankruptcy, you want to buy something together, but you can't put their name on it or it would add no value to put their name on it. Right. And so that's why they treat it like that. Interesting. Other things, bills and, and, you know, those all just kind of follow the home. So any insurance, any electrical, anything like that, whoever keeps the home, I mean, that's another reason to sell an asset like a piece of property is because you then cut clean ties with everything associated with that as well. In this case, we had to transfer names off of electric bills. And if there was any deposit paid up front, you have to split that up. I mean, I don't think about these things until I walk into the um, Jinx utilities office in order to split up the water and they ask for a copy of the mayor or the divorce decree in order to get my name off of it. And then it was, oh, well, what do you want us to do with the $30 deposit? Well, I don't want you to cut two $15 checks. I mean, it's just things you wouldn't even think about. Yeah, definitely. So then what about the big things like your daughter? How did you handle that? Sure. And that's where you really can't separate emotional from financial decisions. Um, Just impossible. And in the state of Oklahoma, child support and alimony are completely different in how they're calculated. Um, Child support, while everything is up to the discretion of the judge, should you go that far. And child support is essentially a formula. It's based on income made by each spouse, the amount of overnights that the child is going to spend with um, each spouse. And then if there's, there's some financial consideration, if one person has to pay for medical insurance that's used on the child. And in this case, I made the majority of the money. I covered the medical insurance. Um, because I'm a traveling salesperson, um, I wanted 50% of the time with my daughter. I probably would have had no problem getting 50% of the time, but you know, I have to go earn a living and I couldn't do that traveling three nights a week. Right. And as a side note, there's an interesting audio clip going around on TikTok right now. And I thought it was very fitting that we were about to record this podcast and that's trending. It's women recording their reaction to a gentleman that almost sounds like he's a pastor at a church. And he's talking about how difficult it is to be a father because I can either give my child and my family my time or I can give them my money, but they can't have both, you know, and not that that can't be said for mothers as well, but this particular trend, it's, it's, they're talking about a dad and the years where you're wanting to spend that amount of time with your family and and child are also what's called your earning years. You're developing a business, you're making a resume, you're trying to get in on a company so you can eventually be CEO or partner or whatever it may be. If you have a family, family, do you want me to make money to play soccer and go on vacations and spring break and live in a nice house and have an RV? Or do you want me around? 
And right. when I heard that, I, I, I'm an emotional person anyway. It, it all, I mean, it just made me start crying because that's exactly how it is. There's money and there's children and you need them both. And it's hard to figure out a way to juggle that. It really, really is. And I think you hit on something that almost everyone struggles with, whether they are an employee somewhere, have, have a job someplace, and they're required to be there a certain amount of time, or if they're an entrepreneur and they're like, I'm going to start my own business so I can spend more time with my family. And then guess what? Own business. Next thing you know, you're working nights, you're working weekends, you're trying to make it go and struggling to figure out how to do all of those things. So I think that's a really, really real struggle for many, many people, not, not just one or two. And you're absolutely right. When you have a partner, when you have a marriage or, or some sort of partnership, you can sometimes trade off on those things. I got to be gone this week, but I'll be back next week. So, you know, you can go work your second job or your side hustle to make more money there to fill in the gap for me being gone. And when you separate, you're right, it's, it's all on you. And then you can't spend that time because somebody has to do the time and somebody has to still make the money. So and there was an example of that this weekend, this last weekend was my weekend with my daughter and I treasure those. Um, my particular schedule is Thursday through Monday. So four nights every other weekend plus holidays and, you know, two weeks vacation, et cetera. But it was my weekend and I had a customer who needed an install of their equipment done on a Sunday because they're doing production 24 seven every other day. And Sunday's their only downtime. They could not afford to shut down the line to install my equipment on it unless it was a Sunday. I didn't have a choice. I have to give up time with my daughter because I have to make alimony and child support payments. I'm not only paying for my household and bills, but I'm currently essentially paying two of them. And one of the things that's difficult for whether it's my ex or people on the outside look, hey, you make good money. Why is this so difficult? Well, <laughs> because we're now paying double the bills essentially, and the income didn't double. In fact, the income went down because COVID has affected everybody. So there's a smaller pie and we're splitting it up into more pieces. Yeah, and that, that's a great point that one of the advantages of being in a marriage or as a couple is you just have the one house payment and the one electric bill and the one gas payment and you know things like that. You only have to pay those once and you can combine on certain things. Like you may have two cars, but if you combine your car insurance, then it's not as much as if you're paying you know two individuals type of thing. And yep. when you separate, that goes away. And yes. like you said, if like in your case, you're the primary income earner. And so you're basically having to run their household and your own on your own budget. How has that affected other areas of your life? How has that affected like your social life and your spending money and your retirement? Oh my savings? goodness. Yeah. I mean, first off, I hope to be back into the dating pool at some point and not that there hasn't been a strong movement in women's rights and things, but I'm still an old fashioned guy. The guy pays when he takes the girl out, right? Well, that's hard to do when your discretionary income has been minimal. Um, there's other things to consider like buying a home. I felt like I deserved the type of home that I had. I had a 
you know, four bedroom, three car garage, I nice big backyard. And well, dang it. I deserve that. That's what I had. I don't need it. I not, I maybe necessarily can't afford it. So I had to say, Hey, I'll have a nicer, smaller home. Um, and as long as I have a room for my daughter and me, that's all that really matters. So it impacts things greatly. Taxes are, are, are a big impact. Uh, we are claiming every other year we get to share the, or we, we get to claim uh, the daughter. So I now have, she's 12. So until she turns 18 or college, that's six years. Well, I'm only claiming for three. And when you're a single person making good money, don't have a mortgage, don't get to claim your, your, your claim your child, but you're still paying for all those things. That's a pretty devastating impact on the tax bracket as well. Yeah. Don't have a lot of write-offs there. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that um, people would ever consider staying together so that they don't have to deal with all the financial parts of separating, even if they're miserable? Yeah. So it's interesting how you said that. Would they consider? And that's exactly how it should be used. Nobody should ever stay in a miserable or dangerous Mine wasn't dangerous. I'm just using an example. Nobody should ever stay in a situation like that because they can't afford it. But you do have to consider it. Maybe counseling isn't so bad. Maybe learning to develop whatever you've lost, whether it's passion or emotions or trust, whatever you've lost from that relationship, maybe that would be easier to try to work to get that back than to go through something as financially devastating as a divorce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How important do you think it is to have some of these discussions before people combine their finances as far as what they would do if they split up? Because I know a lot of people, you know, they may not even get married for years, but they decide to live together. And the longer you live together, the more financial things you take on together. You know, you buy the couch, you buy a pet, you, you get the you get a car and stuff like that. So um, what, what would advice would you give for somebody just getting started? Just because you have a financial discussion about those things does not mean that you don't trust them, or you're trying to put your interests first. It's just a smart thing. 50% of you know, marriages end in divorce. You read the stats and it only gets worse. Chances are that it's at least going to, at some point in your marriage life, that topic is going to come up. Knowing about it ahead of time can actually make things easier should that decision be made to separate. It's almost like, and I hate to be so morbid, but pre-planning for your funeral, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to think about dying. I don't want to, it's like, that makes it reality. But if you do that, you're making it in a frame of mind where emotions aren't impacting it. We discussed that. Mm. So taking the burden away from the people around you that you love, you can kind of treat it the same way where you say, hey, Let's look at our finances together. Let's look at them separate. Let's decide should something happen. Let's go ahead and, you know, make a plan. Things change. Life changes. There's impact. You know, you're impacted differently by different 
occurrences in your life, but at least you can set up some sort of a foundation on where to go. The other thing I would say, people turn into people that you don't realize, yourself included during a divorce. Don't just trust them. Hey, if we really love each other and this is what we want, let's go ahead and put it in writing. Let's make it legal. Let's do something that in the middle of heat or passion and whatever happened to tear a marriage apart, we have something legally binding and nobody can go back on what they said earlier when they were happy and in love. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. Um, when I was starting a business with some partners and, you know, a business partnership is just like getting married, but without all the fun, romantic stuff, (laughs) it's really very, very similar. Uh, one of the greatest pieces of advice we got from an attorney was they looked all through our partnership agreement and they're like, this looks really great for how you're going to work together, but it doesn't say anything about what you're going to do. If one of you needs to leave, or if somebody gets Mm. sick, or if you decide to split up because it's not working out or one of you hits lotto and wants to bail, like it doesn't, it doesn't say anything about that. And I think that's a great point that you're making is maybe have a discussion about this and write some stuff out beforehand. You know, that prenuptial agreement is not a bad thing. It's just making sure everybody's got a clear head and everybody understands what kind of a contract we're getting into and what we're going to do if for some reason, someday we think we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, and I would even make the argument if you see Hollywood, the way they portray a prenuptial agreement, it's when the young lady falls in, you know, Anna Nicole Smith comes to mind. The young lady falls in love with the old rich guy and they want to protect the assets. Well, that's not reality. Uh, I would even argue that it's more important maybe for people who aren't exceedingly wealthy and have less assets to protect. It's even more important that they protect those. Because if you have a ton of money, let's be honest, if I'm a billionaire and somebody takes half of it, I'm going to be okay, right? I mean, I get to fly to space or have to sell five of my Audis or whatever, but (laughs) I'm going to be okay. If you, you know, live in a $300,000 home, uh, you're, you're playing on a different field. And I would argue that that's even more important to make sure that there's some sort of fair and, uh, you know, efficient way of splitting up the assets. I think that is fabulous advice. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days and your barbecue channel and all that kind of good stuff. Well, so unfortunately, right as the divorce was happening was where I was really growing that part of, you know, my passion. Um, So I have a a barbecue and grilling channel on YouTube. It's Huff Daddy Barbecue. I should be the only Huff Daddy out there if you go to look for it. Um, I was doing some catering, but it's kind of difficult to cater out of a two-bedroom apartment in a small kitchen. Uh, I am building a home. Uh, Crazy market, but it was either build a home or it was pay cash in about $20,000 over. And oh yeah, you better make an offer within 10 minutes of of looking at the home or it's going to be gone. And that's not an exaggeration. Not at all. The housing market here (laughs) is nuts. So I actually grew up in California. And before we moved to Oklahoma, we were looking at buying a house in California. And that's how the market was there. You know, you better make an offer right away and you better have all of your ducks in a row and you better be willing to you know, throw some cash and all kinds of stuff. And that's one of the reasons we moved to Oklahoma 
And now the housing market in the area where we currently live is getting very similar to where it's You did it. You brought it to Oklahoma. It It didn't follow me. It's not my fault. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is is an interesting market. And, um, you know, what I'm doing now is learning. I was at a place where I thought I didn't have a future. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you feel like, I just don't see how I'm ever going to get out of this. There's just one thing after another. It's a big snowball rolling downhill and it's coming right at you. And I'm at a place now where I don't know what it's going to be, but I know I am going to get out of it. So I've at least got that positive outlook that, hey, you, you really do need to learn from the mistakes that were made, the things that you can pay attention to. Um, become your own person first and foremost. That's what I'm focusing on right now is being the best David I can be before I can be the best next boyfriend or, you know, whatever. And of course, being the best father is the absolute top of my list. And I think that will go a long way into helping me realize it, I'm going to be okay. I don't know what the future looks like, but it's, it's going to be good love that. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. If you want to subscribe to David's YouTube channel, it is Huff Daddy Barbecue, or you can send him an email if you want to get in contact. His email is sig1005 at cox.net. Thank you as well to all of our listeners and viewers. I'm your host, Camille Diaz. I specialize in financial education, life insurance with living benefits, and guaranteed lifetime income. You can contact me and find out what else I'm up to through my website, CamilleDiaz.com, and follow me on social media at Cam Unfiltered. Be sure to follow Money Heart at Money Heart Show and on our website, MoneyHeartShow.com. David, would you like to share today's money mantra? Sure. Um, I tend to believe that the people who say money can't buy you happiness must not have ever been poor because while I don't think that that's the only way to happiness. I think that you definitely need access to strong, solid finances in order to bring you things like medical care and food and shelter. And that's all part of being happy. So while it might not be the only part of happiness, I think it's a big part. I love that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a great day.